we have already remarked in our study of the Beatitudes that here we are seeing a portrait, really, of the life of Christ himself because he is the one who has lived these Beatitudes out to perfection. There is a school of thought that relegates the Beatitudes to uh, the millennium. I, I have not been able to take to that because I don't think we'll need them in the millennium. We'll uh, be like we ought to be anyway. We need them right now. And so that's why they're put forward to us uh, by our Lord Jesus. But it's important to remember that they are not simply beautiful little sayings that are to be decorating the walls of our houses, but that they are to be characteristics of our life as born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Those of you who have seen the motion picture Born Again about Charles Colson can see a transformation of character. And this is important for us to remember. Uh, before we do something, we must be something. And the Christian faith always puts the emphasis on the being. Our relationship to God through the new birth will result in the working out of these characteristics in our life, and so it's important uh, for us to remember this. I have often quoted a favorite black preacher of mine whose name was Moses P. Timms, and he could preach the stars down. Uh, Moses Timms lived over in Tyler, Texas, not far from where I grew up, and he addressed the Tyler Ministerial Alliance one time, and uh, he made a statement. Uh, by the way, he was the pastor of the True Vine Baptist Church, and I've always thought I'd like to name a Presbyterian church the True Vine Presbyterian Church. Uh, it's a good name. Well, he said to the Tyler Ministerial Society, quote, some people are telling us these days that evil can be cleared up if we clean up the slums and make all the youngsters go to school. But it's deeper than that. Did you ever put a pig in your parlor? Well, go away for about 10 minutes and see which gets changed first, the pig or the parlor. <laughs> Birds don't crawl and worms don't fly at least not until the worm goes through the agony of death in a cocoon and comes out a butterfly, a new creation. Just so, something radical must happen to the whole man, inside and out, if he would be delivered from his evil. Only if a man is in Christ is he a new creature. Now that's a tremendous statement, and it uh, is something that we need very much to keep in mind when we come to the Beatitudes. Charles Colson did not come to Christ until he became poor in spirit, until his arrogance and pride had been cut down. That is the first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, said Jesus. Those who have been touched by God will recognize their need of him. That's why I'm so greatly fond of that hymn, Come ye sinner, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to greet you, all the beauty, love, and power. Uh, then it says, let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to know your need of him. You cannot get anywhere in the Christian faith until you come to a knowledge of your need of him. That is the conscious lordship of Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The second beatitude speaks of a mourning over sin. 
the sin which is a constant battle in our own life, and the sin which causes so much havoc in the world round about us. I don't know how many people this week have spoken to me about the uh, horrible events that have taken place in Guyana. And one of my friends told me today that you could be dead certain that the communist countries have kept this on the front page as indicative of religion and of the Christian faith. But this is not the Christian faith at all. Uh, this is madness. It's demoniac. It's really a fulfillment of prophecy in my own thinking. For Jesus said that in the last days, many false prophets would uh, come. And also we are told in the epistles of Paul that there would be a time in which evil would manifest itself in such gross ways. This form of thing is satanic and demonic. And uh, uh, so those of us who love and know the Lord Jesus and read these Beatitudes can certainly see that what happened there has nothing to do with true Christian faith at all. You see only the uh, aberrations of a Satan-directed madman and those who followed him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus, for they shall inherit the earth. You remember we said that meekness was not weakness. Jesus and Moses are both referred to as meek. Moses is called the meekest man in all the earth. Yet Moses had a temper. He had anger. But his anger was for the right thing at the right time. And uh, we can be angry for the right thing at the right time if our rage is controlled and we seek to bring it under the lordship of Christ. Jesus became angry at those who were in the temple selling doves and making the house of his father a house of commerce. And he planted a, 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 some cords into a whip and overturned the tables of the money changers and drove them from the temple. Uh, he was filled with indignation at what was going on there. Once when his disciples uh, were forbidding little children to come near him so that he could bless them, uh, he turned to his disciples and very heatedly rebuked them uh, for their keeping the children away from him. And so this is important for us to remember too. Jesus also said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. But he told us to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now then, to be yoked to Jesus Christ is very important. Those of you who have ever seen animals yoked together know that you may teach a young oxen what he is to do by yoking him to an older, trained, and experienced oxen. Uh, when you do, if that ox pulls forward, then the younger one will be pulled by his power. If he goes to the right or to the left, it will be the same. When one becomes born again, Jesus Christ dwells in his heart, and his life is to be controlled by the master. And so that means a learning experience. We sing hymns, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Do we mean these hymns? It's our own personal responsibility and relationship to the Lord that is so great here and so important for us to remember. The meek, they shall inherit the earth. Uh, we must remember these words. Then last week we touched briefly 
on blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you remember, I tried to stress that hunger is a tremendous desire. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Could you imagine what it would be like to go without food for that protracted period of time? Have you ever fasted for any extended period of time? Have you ever lacked for water? In going through some forms of surgery that I have had to go through, I could not take water, and instead they would crush uh, ice and moisten my lips to try to keep them from swelling and also to bring some relief to my parched throat. And how much I wanted water. Uh, it was something that was a craving for me. Well, when it becomes so much so that we want we want to be righteous in the sight of the Lord as much as we would want food or as much as we would want water if we were thirsty. Uh, then, said Jesus, they shall be satisfied. Uh, they shall be satisfied. They shall be completed. And he is working that out in us too. And then we come today to the words, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And this, of course, is one of the Beatitudes that we always need to keep the church working in the fashion that it should work. What do we mean by the word mercy? It's a great Old Testament word. It's used about 150 times. Mercy is when we are in a position of power and authority over someone else. And we could inflict judgment upon them and punishment upon them, but we withhold it. We show them mercy. We show them mercy. Uh, this means that we don't give them what they deserve. Uh, they've done something wrong, and yet we do not give them what they deserve. We show them mercy. Uh, this is a very close and beautiful word because it teaches us the heart of God in an unusual and remarkable manner. Grace, mercy, and, tr and peace. Uh, you will see the letters of the apostles of Paul often concluding with those words, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, of course, is unmerited love. And the mercy of God goes further. God not only gives us uh, righteousness through grace, but in mercy he withholds uh, punishment from us which we really deserve. It's mercy. I think that the, one of the most moving paintings of the crucifixion that I've ever seen was in Glasgow, Scotland, in a cathedral. It was by Salvador Dali, and some of you perhaps have seen it. It's a view of the crucifixion in which you are up high above the cross, looking down on the head of Jesus and of the cross, and you see all the people looking up at Jesus, and you see their faces contorted in hate and mocking, and you see his mother weeping, and you see the emotions in the people below. Well now, have you ever been angry with someone and you just looked down, you didn't want to see them at all, you looked away from them, or you walked around the building to keep from bumping into them? Uh, you didn't wish to see them. We come now to the Advent season in which God has come into this world. And here we find 
mercy. Here we find peace. Here we find righteousness. Here we find truth all coming together in the birth of the Son of God in Bethlehem who will go to the cross to die for our sins. There uh, is where this marvelous mercy of God comes into effect in a big way. There are many examples in scripture of mercy that we can find. If you look back into your Old Testament, you can find the uh, wonderful story of Father Abraham. You can see how Lot, uh, who was selfish and sought well-watered plains and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then when he became in trouble, even though he had not done right by Abraham, Abraham came to his rescue. This was showing him mercy. He was in a position to exercise authority and power in a way that could have hurt him. And he could have said, Lot, that's what you chose, so you can just stew in your own juice. But instead, he shows him mercy. Now, it's not mercy for me to, uh, to when I'm weaker and someone else is, is stronger and I say I'm not going to hurt you. If poor old Joe Theisman last week when, uh, when Martin came breaking through the line to uh, hit him had said I'm going to show you mercy, it would have been ridiculous. Uh, because he was in no position to show mercy. He had 270 pounds coming down on him, and that's like getting a grand piano thrown on top of him. And there was no mercy there. That's ridiculous. I remember the Charles Atlas ads when I was a little boy. I wanted those muscles. And it used to always show some fellow walking along the beach, and uh, there were very attractive girls there, and this guy would, someone would kick sand in his face, and he was the 97-pound weakling, and Charles Atlas said, if you built up this these muscles, then you could come back and whip this person. Well, if that 97-pound weakling had looked at the big muscular man who kicked sand in his face and said to him, uh, now I'm not going to hurt you, I'm going to show you mercy, that, that would be ridiculous uh, because he was in no position to show any uh, mercy. Not unless he, I don't know why I thought of this, but out in Texas they said that Mr. Colt made all men equal, <laughs> that if he had a Revolver, I suppose he could show him mercy by refusing to shoot him or something. And uh, you could think about it uh, that way. But here is mercy. It means that I am in a position to, uh, to bring to bear upon someone else uh, judgment and harm for what they've done, but I, I let them go free. Uh, I let them go. You see another example of it uh, in the life of, of Joseph. We saw some of us on television last week, one of those films that has to do with uh, Bible heroes. And if you saw the one on Joseph, uh, you remember how Joseph was the uh, favorite son of his father, and that's always a bad business. He talked about him too much and made him the favored son and got him a coat of many colors. And, Joseph went around his brothers annoying them by telling them all of his dreams about himself until they were fed up with him and uh, did not wish to uh, have him rule over them. And so when uh, Joseph had come out to where they were taking care of sheep, they decided they would get rid of this little brother who created so much problems and kill him. 
And then uh, one member of the group said, no, we shouldn't do this. We don't want to uh, murder him. Uh, we will uh, sell him. And so they sold him to a caravan that was going into Egypt. You remember how that he had gone into Egypt as uh, a slave, sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And then when he comes into Egypt, he is so exceptionally bright that when he is purchased in the slave market uh, by a man by the name of Potiphar, he becomes the captain of his household. And he is a loyal and true person. He resists the uh, seductions of, uh, that were attempted toward him by Potiphar's wife. And for this, uh, he is framed and thrown into prison where he has to stay for a long time. And then finally, he comes out of prison. And through his integrity and his great wisdom, comes into a position next to the Pharaoh himself in great authority and power over all of the land. And his word is the word that really counts. And then those brothers of his are starving because of famine has hit their land. And they come into Egypt. And this strange prime minister does many things in looking at them and testing them. He could have called for them all to be put in prison. And he could have called for them to be dealt with in a very harsh and hard manner. But he does not do this. He does not do this. Instead, he shows them mercy. And this is an important thing for us to remember. He shows them mercy. He breaks down weeping and he shows them mercy. And then later sends for the whole family to come into Egypt. And we see the remarkable the really supernatural way in which God has provided and protected the Jews all down through these years. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When we show mercy, it just keeps on snowballing and brings good to other people. Then there was uh, David. And you remember how Saul became mad and jealous of David. So mad and so jealous of David that he wanted to uh, hunt him down and put him to death. And although Samuel had already sought out David and anointed him as to be the king over Israel, Saul still went after him to kill him. And David, hiding out in the woods, would sometimes, one night he sneaked into Saul's camp. And while Saul's guards were asleep, he cut off a part of his garment. And then he went back in the woods and called for Saul to awaken. And then he told him, I could have killed you, but I didn't. You're the Lord's anointed, and so I won't raise my hand against you. On another occasion, he sneaks into his camp and takes the spear that is by Saul's body and takes the canteen of water that's there and goes back again into the woods and calls to him and reminds him of what he could do. Now there are people I'm sure who could say, well, he would have been better off if he'd have put Saul to death. No, we cannot take that route. And here, David is showing great and good sense. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And David would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, sometimes there will be people who will say ugly, mean, and cutting things about you. And when you show the mercy of God, you are touched by the goodness of Christ, prompted by the Holy Spirit to swallow your own wrath, 
and to let the other person go scot-free. Now, there's a wrong kind of mercy, I think, that is sometimes shown because it's not healthy nor good. Uh, this, I think, would be in the spoiling of children. Probably this had something to do with Joseph's troubles, and we know that David had a son named Absalom, and Absalom he allowed to be so spoiled that later he caused great trouble for him and tried to topple his throne and to kill him. And when, when David's loyal troops had slain Absalom, David lamented over this boy whose delinquency he probably had a hand in. He, he lamented bitterly over him because he loved him until finally one of his captains had to come to him and say, why are you still weeping over this son who has almost brought the kingdom to pieces when we have risked our lives for you? Now you've got to straighten up and remember that we have been loyal to you. And so David did. So there, that's a lesson in mercy from the other side that, that uh, can occur that is not good. These are some examples from Scripture. When you come into the New Testament, you see this important parable which Jesus has given about forgiveness and which he tells uh, Peter, who magnanimously said to Jesus, if my brother sins against me, how many times shall I forgive him? Shall I forgive him seven times? Now that was a very big-hearted gesture to forgive him seven times because the rabbis said three times ought to be enough. So, but Peter said seven times. Now I'm sure he sat back and thought, my, the Lord's going to think I'm a very generous person. And Jesus said seven times. Peter, I'll tell you what. You forgive him 70 times seven. And Peter thought, great day, 490 times. <laughs> That's a lot of times to forgive someone. But yet, do you have to ask for forgiveness day by day? I do. Not a day passes that I don't have to ask God to forgive me. Then Jesus told about those two servants. He told about how one man had owned this massive amount of money, which would have been the equivalent today of millions of dollars. And the other a paltry sum that would have amounted to about $25 in our currency. And how when the man had nothing to pay, the generous man who had made the loan to him forgave him his debt and let him go free. And then he went straight out and caught one of his fellows who owed him this paltry $25 sum and caught him by the throat and said, you pay me what you owe me. And when he had nothing to pay, uh, he put him in prison for it. And then friends of that other servant came and told his Lord what had happened. And he called the first man back in. And he said, don't you realize what you've done? Don't you know how much you have been forgiven by me? I showed mercy on you. Why didn't you go and show mercy on your fellow servant? And then he delivered him into prison. And Jesus makes a very startling statement at that point. So said Jesus, it will happen to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The idiocy that says, I will forgive, but I can't forget, just simply won't happen. You better learn how to forget. You better learn how to forget. Go look at the cross. 
That'll teach you how to forget. And when you look up there, remember that that man nailed on that cross was nailed there for your sins. And he suffered for your sins. And if he could do that for you, then you can forgive whoever has sinned against you. If Jesus could do that for you, then you cannot withhold forgiveness to another. That's very important for you to remember. If you do, you short-circuit. If something short-circuits in our electrical system here, it blows out all the lights. And you short-circuit your soul and your relationship to God when you do that. Even God cannot forgive a person who will not forgive. But you, when you are born again, have it within you to forgive, and you can forgive, and it's important for you to remember it. Now then, my time is about gone, but I want to point out one or two experiences uh, that I have seen of forgiveness and how it worked uh, in my own life. I hope I may be forgiven for repeating this story, but it was, it's over 20 years ago that it happened. And it was a very interesting experience to me, and I uh, it just was there by the providence of God into it. I had been invited by Senator George Smathers of Florida to, when I was pastor in Waynesville, to make the opening prayer at the U.S. Senate. And so when I went back into the little room where you wait just before the Senate is called to order at 12 o'clock noon, I stood there with Chaplain Frederick Brown Harris, and he told me how Harry Truman had stood in front of that clock that we were standing in front of and how he had waited to go in and address the people after uh, President Roosevelt had died and how he had asked him to pray for him at that time because of all of the uh, responsibility that had suddenly fallen upon his shoulders. I can remember how frightened I was when I, I uh, came in. Senator Margaret Chase Smith was not there, so they allowed me to sit in the seat where she was and to listen uh, to the debate later in the day, and it was a very interesting experience. That night when I went home for dinner uh, with George Smathers, uh, George, uh, I asked him after supper when we got ready to go to bed, I said, do you go to the prayer breakfast that's held by the senators uh, in the morning? And George said, uh, not yet. <laughs> He'd been in the Senate for almost two terms, and he hadn't gone at that. And, uh, but he said, I'm going to go in the morning, and I'm going to take you with me. Well, they had a very strict rule at this Senate prayer meeting that they would not allow any preachers especially to come in there because they'd be telling stories like this. And uh, so uh, when I got there uh, with George, George didn't know this rule because he hadn't been. And so when he got there, they were so, so happy to see that he had come to the prayer meeting that they let me come in on his coattail, so to speak. And there were 19 senators there present that morning. And the election is now over, so I can tell you, <laughs> Strom Thurmond had the lesson that morning. And you know where the lesson was taken from? From Ephesians. Be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And then he talked about the importance of showing courtesy and kindness and politeness. I remember Senator Robert Kerr from Oklahoma, and it seemed like to me that there were 19 senators present 
and 18 sets of eyeballs that rolled in his direction when he was talking about kindness, and they looked at Kerr. And uh, George punched me, and he said, uh, yesterday on the floor of the Senate, uh, Senator Kerr got very angry and questioned the sanity of another member of the Senate <laughs> uh, in, a, in a heated debate. And so when uh, no one could speak except the senators, and so when it got to each one of them, they said things about kindness. And it got around to Senator Kerr, and so everyone looked at him, and you could have heard a Kleenex hit the floor. And uh, uh, Senator Kerr, uh, uh, politicians have a way of doing things like this. Senator Kerr said, Strom, uh, that, that helped me. He said, I'm going to send a page over to your office this morning to, to pick that up. I need, to, I need that. And he said, I, I have always been as kind as I ought to. And if I've said anything that, that was unkind toward anyone, I want you to know that I'm, I'm sorry for it. And uh, what was happening was a miracle of forgiveness was taking place. He was making a confession. He was agreeing with the looks that were cast at him, that he had been uncharitable and unkind toward someone else. And he wanted forgiveness. And he wanted a better relationship with there. Blessed are the merciful, said Jesus, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, and I'm sure that the person whose sanity it impugned was willing to uh, forgive. And I remember walking out of the, that breakfast that morning, and it was snowing. It was St. Patrick's Day, March the 17th. And the snow was coming down very heavy, and I had come up there from Waynesville and didn't have even a raincoat or an overcoat. And uh, George had loaned me one of his coats when we left the house, and it was a big blue cashmere overcoat. I'm unaccustomed to that type of material, and so I reached over to pick up a blue cashmere overcoat, but it wasn't George's. It belonged to Senator uh, Frank Lauschie uh, from Ohio, and I wore it off. And uh, during the course of the day, I fished into the pocket and pulled out some letter addressed to Senator Lauschie, and I told George, I said, I stole Senator Lauschie's coat without meaning to this morning. And he said, well, why don't you take it over to his office and, uh, and uh, give it to him? He said he'd, he'd be amused. And so I did, and Frank Lauschie, a great Roman Catholic and a wonderful person, and I went over to his office and told him that I'd come to give myself up, that I'd stolen his coat that morning. <laughs> and uh, he was a very gracious person and very kind, and uh, I just, just the kind of man you just like right away. And afterwards, George told me an interesting story that when uh, Senator Lauschie had been the governor of Ohio, that uh, when he had been a judge in Ohio, I'm sorry, uh, there was brought into his courtroom during the Depression a man who had taken a brick bath and had thrown it through a bakery window and stolen several loaves of bread. And the police caught him running away and put him in jail. And so he was brought before Senator uh, who was then Judge Lauschie, uh, to be tried. And uh, so Judge Lauschie, Lauschie, when he heard what had happened, and the man told him that his family was starving, he had broken the window in order to get some bread for them to eat, uh, Senate, uh, Judge Lauschie looked at the courtroom, and there was a good, goodly number of people in the courtroom, and he said, uh, I'm going to find you five dollars for breaking the window. And I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom a dollar bill for allowing this town uh, to run in such a way that a man goes hungry and his family is starving. 
And so he had the, the sheriff's bailiffs go around and take a dollar from every person in the courtroom. And he paid the fine of five dollars. He gave the rest of the money to the man. And uh, that was an excellent illustration to me of, of mercy, of Christian mercy. And this is a byproduct of the new birth, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's something that we should uh, seek to cultivate. We do not want to short-circuit the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in our soul. So right now, if you could resolve in your own mind and heart that if there is any person against whom you hold any kind of grudge, that you, as a person born again, as a person in whom Jesus dwells, that you must react as Jesus would react toward that other person. You must let go of that resentment. You must let go of that hatred. Sometimes it's between parents and children, sometimes between husband and wife, but now it must be let go of because Jesus does not give you any other alternative. You remember I said last week, Jesus is not a reality until he is a necessity in your life. Now, if he is a necessity in your life, as necessary as food and water, if he is that necessary, then it's necessary for you to obey him. You cannot withhold whatever Christ wants from you. And so he wants you to forgive. He, from the cross, cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He gave us the example. He gave us the example to follow. And then, in closing, it's so sweet I just can't resist telling you again about it. My favorite motion picture for years was A Man for All Seasons. And you remember when Sir Thomas More was convicted on very specious charges and condemned to die And how he conducted himself with such poise in front of the jury that had just condemned him. And when they told him that he was sentenced to death and he could make his final words to the people there, he said this, I have nothing further to say, my Lord, except this. Just as Saul of Tarsus held the clothes of those who stoned St. Stephen to death and is now in heaven with Stephen and they are friends forever. So, my lords, my earnest prayer is that you and I shall both enjoy full salvation and be friends together in heaven. Let us stand, please. We will not sing the concluding hymn. Let us pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in all the goodness that you have shown us through Jesus Christ. We who have been the recipients of so much mercy can do nothing else except show mercy to those who have hurt or wronged us in any way. Help this to be more than just pious thoughts but help it to be reality in our own day-by-day -day walk. 
Help us to know that what happened at the cross showed the price that took away our sins and showed that we must be willing to die to self so that others might be forgiven and so that we ourselves might be like the Lord who has forgiven us so much. If anyone here this morning has never known him as Savior and Lord, help that person today to give his or her heart to the Lordship of Jesus and then to know the adventure in life of being guided by the Holy Spirit into a new relationship to thee, one that will be a blessing, one that will be lived out to his glory. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all now and forevermore.